Hello. Welcome again. That's your third welcome. We like to have a trinity of welcomes every week if we can, if we can afford it. My name's Rod and uh, I work here just a couple of days a week, so I don't expect too much. Um, we're in the middle of a series on the Bible. We're calling it The Bibles um, because there are lots of books in the Bible and they, um, yeah, they just represent lots of different voices and lots of different perspectives that are part of a rich conversation. Uh, so we wanted to acknowledge that with the title of our series, calling it The Bibles. And, um, and you're lucky because you're in the second half of the series. The first half was all about um, roadblocks and um, difficult difficulties that we had with the Bible, things that made it difficult for us to read the Bible. Um, but we finished that, so we have no more roadblocks or difficulties with the Bible. It's all plain sailing from here on in. And what we're doing in this half of the series is uh, the, what we call the green pastures part of the series, where we try to think of ways that we can get life out of the text. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, liberation theology as a form of theology that might give us life, that might provide sources of life for us as we read the Bible. Um, so um, we've had two Shanes share with us so far. Um, I've got two copies of that, just in case. And, oh, that's right. Um, there's lots of crazy animation in this, so I'll just be clicking like crazy. Um, so, two weeks ago, um, Melbourne Shane, let's call him, introduced us to liberation theology um, and talked about three features of it. So I thought we'd just quickly have a look at those again to remind ourselves. Um, so these are kind of three key features of liberation theology. Um, if you want more details, listen to the podcast from two weeks ago. Um, but the first feature of liberation th theology is the idea that God is um, on the side of the oppressed. Um, other, the other way of phrasing it is that there's a kind of preferential option for the poor. Um, and it's, I guess, a reaction, a very strong reaction to Christendom, um, the way for so long Christianity was associated with empire and um, people came to see Christianity as being part of um, power. But uh, liberation theology seeks to rescue the Bible and rescue faith from that and to return the, the focus of faith to the focus that is in the Bible, which is on the people that are on the underside, on the margins, um, the oppressed. The second thing... Um, ...is that, um, that God works for justice on the earth, that... We can't separate the spiritual and the material. God is not just in the, the saving of souls and teleporting of souls out of this world into another world business. 
but God is interested in bringing about justice and transformation in this world, in the material. And that as followers of Jesus, we can't just be interested in people's spiritual well-being, but we must also be interested in people's material, physical well-being. If we seek to share the gospel with people but have no concern for justice or their their material circumstances, then we misunderstand what the gospel is and we misunderstand what the Bible is about. That's the second idea. And the third one is that there is no theology without uh, an agenda. Historically, theology has so much been um, shaped and framed by straight white men. Um, And liberation theology reminds us that there are other people on the earth other than straight white men. I know, it's a surprise, but there you go. And that those other groups, women, people of colour, queer people, um, and we'll talk about other groups as well today, also share this earth, also bring a perspective to the Bible that is different from the perspective of straight white men. Um, so this is, I guess, the third aspect of liberation theology to try to, to use a technical word, decenter people like me, <laughs> push me out of the centre. I'm reclaiming it this morning, just so you know. But um, yeah, but to, to decenter people like me. There's a little quote by Lillian Kals Barger. Liberation theology recognises there is no theology without agenda. So then last week we had Sydney Shane come and speak to us and it was wonderful. And if you missed it, I would really, really encourage you to listen to the podcast. Um, I'm hoping, trusting that it was recorded. Um, For those who weren't here, Shane had um, an accident when he was 39 and was left um, a quadriplegic. And um, so he spoke to us from a wheelchair and he spoke to us about um, disability. And he used the parable of the paralysed man, the man with the four friends who lowered him through the roof. Um, Jesus forgave his sins and then... Um, healed him. And Shane um, talked about the fact that um, so often the heroes of that story are seen as the, the four friends. They're the protagonists. They're those who act out of faith. Um, and it's their faith, really, that Jesus is kind of rewarding. Um, and Shane as a person with disability, challenged that reading and said, why why was not the paralysed man the hero of this story? Was it, it could just as easily have been him who initiated this act, him who encouraged, who talked his friends into it, him who said, no, 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 we can go up onto the roof, (laughs) don't worry. You just need to take all those tiles off. It'll be fine. Trust me. (laughs) 
Stuart was also the hero of the story, just so you know. Don't worry, Stuart. Um, so Shane, Shane basically said that for him, uh, and this relates, I guess, to point three about liberation theology, the idea of no one reads without an agenda. Um, so Shane added to this by saying that life-giving readings of the Bible come from us opening ourselves up to all of those different lenses, to all of those different perspectives, to all of those different readings. And that it is, it's in opening ourselves up to readings of the Bible, readings of stories that are outside of our experience that we can find new life. Um, he talked about the fact that disabled people, a lot of disabled people have a big problem with Jesus and his ministry and Jesus' focus on healing um, because they feel like that encourages people to see disability through a medical model of fixing the individual rather than a social model of society changing to include people as they are. Um, and he suggested that perhaps we need to rethink our understanding of what Jesus was doing um, and to see Jesus more as someone whose priority is to include first and foremost rather than to heal, to bring social healing first and foremost rather than individual healing because so much of the individual healing is not necessary if we heal our society. So one of the basic messages of liberation theology is that we don't need to be afraid of perspectives that unsettle traditional readings of the Bible, that we should actually embrace them, we should seek them out. Firstly, because this is encouraged in the Bible itself. If you look at the story of Peter and Cornelius, where Peter has a vision where he's told that, that there is now nothing unclean, that he can kill and eat everything, including lobster. Um, and he has to have this vision several times before he, he trusts it. And then the very next morning, a Roman centurion's servants come to collect him, to take him to talk to Cornelius and his household about the gospel. And as he speaks, the Holy Spirit arrives to confirm that God now wants to include Gentiles. And this story is just such a radical example of the Spirit of God disrupting what everyone has always understood the Bible to be telling them very clearly. So the Bible encourages disruption of our readings of the Bible, of traditional readings. Um, it's also what, what Jesus did in his reading of the Bible. And it's also because we follow Jesus, not the Bible. Um, on last Friday night, um, Sally, oh, I've had a mental blank, Douglas, Dr. Sally Douglas, who is uh, the Uniting Church Minister in Richmond and also a lecturer at Pilgrim College, came and spoke to us about the early church and its understanding of the Bible, its relationship with Scripture. And she began by reminding us all that um, the Bible is not the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. And we follow Jesus, not the Bible. And just as Jesus disrupted 
the Bible and traditional readings of the Bible. And just as Jesus sought out and embraced people whose experience and identity disrupted the traditional readings of Scripture in his day, so too we need to be open to that. We need to be seeking out and embracing those whose experience of Scripture, whose perspective disrupts traditional readings. What else is on this slide? Yeah. And I thought it would be nice just to remind us that we have a community prayer. Anyone remember? Remember that series? Community of memory. Um, we created a community prayer. I've got it at the end of this. We might do it at the end because it's good to remind ourselves of, um, of our own history. But part of our prayer is this idea we're asking God to help us to see and honour all those who are so often unseen and dishonoured. Um, so we've got no choice. It's in our community prayer, so we have to do it. Sorry. So in, in this, I guess, mini part of the series on liberation theology, we've talked about the poor, uh, we've talked about the disabled, we've talked about and will return to in our Advent series, spoiler alert, um, the womanist perspective on the Bible, which is African-American feminist perspective. Um, but just over to you for a second, what other perspectives on Scripture uh, are often hidden or excluded by um, traditional readings or by the kinds of readings of the Bible that, that perhaps we've grown up with in our um, churches of origin? Any others that you thought of? Yeah, the queer perspective, exactly. Eastern, yeah, so there's not only are there uh, kind of new perspectives that are excluded, but also traditional perspectives that are excluded. You know, the orthodox perspective, um, the Eastern perspective has so much been missing from um, our understanding of the Bible. Certainly was not, you know, when the Reformation came, and many of us are the inheritors of that tradition, the, for the Reformation, all that they were engaged with was the Catholic Church, and the Eastern Church, the Orthodox Church, was just invisible to them, and that had huge implications for so many of the things that we inherited, the, the ignorance of the contemplative tradition, for one thing. Yeah. Any, any other perspectives? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so Indigenous peoples' perspective has so often been ignored, not, not just ignored, but denigrated, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so kind of, yeah, people, people of colour um, perspectives outside of the Western church, yes. Yep, yep, so... Exactly. I mean, it's any, any perspectives, but the fact that we, as a Western church, forgot that Jew, Jesus was Jewish for many hundreds of years, um, we have forgotten that we share um, scripture with Jewish people and Muslim people. So there's so many things that we've been blind to. Asher, you were going to? 
Oh, someone stole your idea again. Rude. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Any other thoughts here, Ben? So that yeah, that childhood perspective, which um, is so powerful and life-giving, but which we often feel embarrassed by. Or yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. So yeah, just other other the perspectives of people from other political persuasions, or um, and yeah, I mean that's particularly the case now we see in this country and others who we won't mention. Um, incredible polarization and people claiming God for their political tribe. Yeah, definitely. Elise. Yeah, so the, all, all of the other perspectives that sat around the Bible as it, as it was forming that the Bible is in conversation with. And it's like the Bible, yeah, if you read the Bible in isolation, it's like listening to one side of a telephone call um, and you're missing out on the, whole, the other part of that. Absolutely. So... I guess those are all things that I would, all perspectives that I'd encourage us to keep pursuing and to try to keep in mind as we engage with the Bible. I want to talk briefly just about a couple today, and that is um, Indigenous people and and also the earth. That's one thing that we didn't really mention, but um, plants, animals, landscape, the earth itself um, is, uh, I guess, a voice and a perspective that... Um, a lot of us have been encouraged in our upbringing and our, the way that we've been taught to read the Bible to completely disregard. I know for myself, I grew up in a church context where I was completely um, oblivious really to the effect of the way I lived on the world around me, on other life forms, um, on the soil, on the planet generally. Um, a whole network of other humans, other life forms were affected by everything that I did, everything that I consumed, and yet I was completely ignorant of that effect, um, of the fact that I was part of a, a massive interconnected web of relationships and effects. Um, as is the case for so many kids, um, animals... Um, were either completely sentimentalized or were or if it was to do with the meat that I was eating were not even present I was not even aware of the connection between the meat I was eating and uh, a living animal that had given its life um, so that I could eat it and the way I was taught to read the Bible as a child didn't help with that at all in fact, it, it almost actively encouraged 
that type of ignorance. Because as, as we talked about before, as I mentioned before, um, the Bible was all about individual human beings and their relationship with God. Specifically about how you got into heaven, which was this other place up somewhere, when you died. And this is something that we've returned to quite a lot over the, over the years, but I think we really need to because as we head into a deep ecological crisis, not just with climate change, but also with loss of biodiversity, I don't know if um, you've caught up with the, the new report on biodiversity, um, there was an article yesterday in The Guardian about it, but that this is a less visible but equally um, existential threat for life, our life and all life, is this increased loss of biodiversity and the potential effect on all the remaining forms of life. Um, so we're, we're moving into this incredible time of crisis and the kind of earth-denying uh, or earth-dominating theology that so many of us grew up with has contributed enormously to the to the creation of this crisis yeah is, do people relate to that does that make sense in terms of your own relationship with the bible growing up um hopefully some of us didn't have that experience had a more integrated earth connected understanding of the bible growing up but certainly that was my experience does that ring true for other people yeah and i guess that's why i wanted us to look at Job 38 and Luke 12 um, today, just as a reminder that the Bible at points engages with incredible texture and detail with the particularity of the created order, with the particularity of the earth. Um, and regularly, the idea of of all things, all creation coming out of the womb of God is an, is an image in the Bible. Um, and so for us to ignore or seek to dominate the rest of creation is to ignore or dominate God's child. But then, as we see in Luke, it's, it's also there with Jesus, the idea of not, not one sparrow being forgotten by God, the hairs of our heads all being numbered, that this incredible engagement by God with the texture and particularity of, of life and creation in a way that for so much, many of us in the church we were, we were taught um, to disregard. Our engagement with the rest of the world was so abstracted, so distant, um, I'm embarrassed by how few, like growing up, how few names of plants and birds and animals I knew around me. I, it's like I walked through my country, my neighbourhood with blinkers on. Um, but I don't want to um, just be the one talking about this this morning. As I said, I, I want us to engage with creation, but also I think the related perspective of Indigenous people. Um, and so we're going to listen to about um, nine minutes of a talk by um, a minister from Sydney, Ray Minicum, who 
is, um, I think, currently pastoring at an Anglican church. Um, But we're going to watch a video of him um, that was posted by Uniting Earth. So that's a Uniting Church group. Um, so this is Creative Commons, so we have the right to, uh, to watch this. Um, but uh, in this, we're not going to watch the very beginning of this, but in the, at the beginning, Ray introduces himself. So he is a descendant of the Kabi Kabi Nation on his father's side and the Gurung Gurung Nation of southeast Queensland on his mother's side. So it's important to know his people. Um, and at the beginning of his, this talk, he talks a little bit about the church that he's in in Sydney. But... I want us to watch this section where I guess he talks to us about the Indigenous uh, perspective on the Bible and on creation and how it might help us. So I'll hand over to Ray. But as, sorry, just before, just before I hand over to Ray, I guess as you listen, the question that I, I want us to hold in our mind is um, if the way we were brought up to read the Bible doesn't help us to be allies of the earth, um, how can we, what do we do with the Bible? How can we engage with the Bible in a way that helps us to be allies to the earth and to other animals as we move into this ecological crisis? What does Ray have to say? And um, what thoughts does that prompt for you? Genesis 1. Bereshit Elohim. In the beginning, God. And that's a much more better starting point because as you go through, even in the first book of Genesis, you look at the, f- the last verse of the first chapter and he says that everything is good, very good. All that he has created is good. It's good for all of us. We, we don't like the word God. We prefer the word creator because when you go back to the beginning, you're going back to your creator, the one who made everything. And it's a better starting point for us. And then once we see that particular uh, telescopic view of the world, we can see that everything, like we, we, like Aboriginal people would say, we're all related <laughs> to everything. Every life form is a part of what he created back there in the beginning. And so that's a better starting point for us. The second part of that is that we also know that we have uh, sinned and we have, you know, destroyed so much and, uh, uh, of, of this ecosystem that our Creator has given us freely and graciously and lovingly. One of the other books of the Bible that helps me to reflect upon the the pain and the struggle of this is really a little mini Bible in the book of Job. Because Job starts with uh, a similar kind of story where uh, uh, God and the devil comes together and, and he says to Job, look, have you seen anyone so righteous as my servant Job? And uh, Job tests God and says, well, if you took everything away from him, he's going to curse you. And... Uh, what we find in the first passage of, or the first uh, chapter, or the first two chapters of Job is, you know, everything's been taken from him. He's lost his uh, family, he's lost all of his possessions, he's lost um, um, 
everything that he depended upon in terms of his livelihood. It's a bit like our story here in, our, in, in Australia. Everything has been destroyed. And the last picture you see of Job is that he's sitting in the burnt-out ashes of his uh, ranch house and he's scratching his sores with a bit of uh, cow manure. Now, that's us. That's where we've come to as Aboriginal people. We've been so decimated and so um, abused and brutalised that it's uh, very difficult for us to, to, to you know, find a way forward. And then you get his, uh, Job's comforters coming around and they're, they're all, they've all got their theories on, on all of this. And uh, we've got so many theories about us that it's, you know, and a lot of the th theories started with uh, Darwin theories, yeah, yeah. Darwinistic theories predominated and dominated how people saw us because uh, many of the uh, false claims about us came from that particular philosophy. Uh, one of the uh, Aboriginal, one of the uh, <clears throat> priests here, uh, one of the priests who came to this, these shores here uh, said this about my people. He says, look, you know, the Aboriginal peoples are the most degraded of the human race. Time has not yet arrived for them to receive the great blessings of civilization and the knowledge of Christianity. Now, uh, his name was Samuel Marston, Reverend Samuel Marston. He went over to New Zealand and helped them formulate a treaty. <laughs> but that was his perception of us, came from this Darwinistic theory. And there was also another politician in uh, the 1900s there when they were talking about setting up a federal uh, government here who said that uh, there is no scientific evidence that the Aborigine is a human being at all. So you had the political sides of it as well as the religious sides of us uh, having these perceptions about us that didn't fit into their worldview. And so we were condemned. <laughs> they practised or they played God on us. <laughs> and they tried to take us back into Genesis 3, kick us out of the flaming garden, our own garden, really. And so when you see the story of Job in that particular way, when these uh, uh, philosophers came around and tried to encourage him to say, well, he must have done something wrong to deserve all of this, at the end of it, our creator himself comes along and uh, he has this question to Job, in spite of all the pain that he's gone through and all the troubles and all the trials and all the tribulations and all the philosophies that came around to try to help him to see his own mistakes or whatever, the Lord says, well, Job, I've got a few questions for you too. <laughs> and the question he asked was, you know, were you there when I created everything? That Beretit Elohim. In the beginning. And to me it was, it, it was an invitation, and it still is an invitation for all peoples to go back to the beginning. That's why I don't have much of a difficulty with, with what we would call creation science or science around these kind of issues because this investigation back into the beginning takes us back into what he has already put in place. And so... Uh, uh, that's the ways in which um, our Creator spoke to Job. 
And I believe he has this powerful message for us, this invitation to come back, not into Genesis 3, but back into Genesis 1. In the beginning, bereshit that of him. <laughs> and rethink and re-see things through our Creator's eyes. Not our theories, but through his eyes. Um, and that's when you can see, in terms of the message that uh, Jesus came to restore, it's not just to save me from my own personal sins, which is so minute in the biggest, in the biggest you know, s scope of things or the bigger perception of things. He died to save the whole universe. That's a completely, that's not the message that we're getting from our evangelical traditions. It's all about me personally. And it excludes this whole uh, wonderful notions of our, our, um, our global home, our creation, all that God has given us as a gift. And so salvation to me is how do we then not just save ourselves, <laughs> but save the blooming planet that we live in, his creation. And we can only do that if we take this invitation that he gave to Job and that he's giving to us, and let's go back to the beginning. And if we can go back into the beginning, we can possibly put things into place. That's a huge big possibility. But the way in which I think the world is going today, uh, this particular voice of the Indigenous peoples, we know is marginalised, probably won't be heard like our Creator's voice is never heard anyways, even in the church or in any of the other religious uh, institutions or religions on the planet. They're listening to themselves. They're not listening to his voice or they're not looking through his eyes. And so we've got a long way to go in order to try to convince people <laughs> uh, who they are in Christ because Christ is the one who took us back into that beginning point and said this is this is the starting point not Genesis 3 Genesis 1 that's the starting point if we can get back there we might be able to uh, save our little home our little planet here our land and our mother I'm so just while we're waiting for the microphone, um, just a moment to reflect on that and to think about um, from Ray's perspective and other ideas that we have, um, what do we do with the Bible? How do we um, use the Bible? How do we find a place, there we are, I'm back. How do we find a place for the Bible um, in a way that is going to help us, as he says, to save the Blumen planet? Any thoughts from what he said or from your own ideas? A long time ago, probably about 60 years, I was thinking about that early account in Genesis when God gave humans dominion over the earth. And I remember thinking, is this a poor translation? And should we be stewards of the earth? And I've continued to think that ever since.
And I think that's, I think that re- reflects a kind of a double move that we need to make with the Bible of challenging poor translations and poor interpretations, but also recognising that the Bible is from a different time and that if, um, if you are a nomadic people, creation around you can seem quite intimidating you feel quite small in relation to that and so the kind of that dominion stewardship notion is maybe kind of empowering and encouraging it's not going to destroy you whereas our context is so profoundly different so it's it's both recognizing bad translations and also recognizing we're in a completely different place and God's spirit needs us to understand the bible differently perhaps Tian I think for me personally, one of the, the biggest turning points I had in, in relationship to this idea of caring for creation and being able to say biblically, this is what I think it means, was in a um, theology class where basically they went back to Genesis 1 and said, okay, let's not just look at creation of humanity and go, oh, God and humanity have a relationship, let's move on, but let's look at all the relationships that are put in place in that account and it's there's, you know, the four, there's like... It's between God and humanity, humanity and humanity, humanity in themselves, and humanity in creation, and how those four interconnectednesses can't be broken. Like they need to exist for for healthy humanity, for healthy creation, everything. Yeah. Interesting. If to to look past our own lens, we need to be able to hear the story of others and uh, put ourselves out beyond our comfort zone because uh, we'll never hear them otherwise. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I just think, um, yeah, quite related to that, um, I was listening to that thinking, wow, like this is something that I don't naturally connect with at all and realising that, yeah, and that's exactly the problem is that because, you know, me being the as we said earlier, the, you know, the straight white male that's largely dominant in society, if I don't easily connect with that, it's just so easy to discard it and completely lose it. Um, yeah, and just realising that, yeah, I, I, I might not easily connect with it, but it's really worth making the effort to do so anyway. Yeah. No, I was just thinking that in our, like, in our own perspective of, even the Bible and looking at the Bible, we have to even look beyond it in terms of the way that Indigenous people have been caring for Australia for 60,000 years. And I've just written down that, like, in our own environmentalism and a care for the earth, it can't be separated from Indigenous perspectives and the way that Indigenous perspectives have cared for the earth for so long and just broaden our understanding of the Bible. I think a lot of um, environmental philosophers and writers are recognising that um, it's almost like we need to go back to basic principles in terms of our engagement with the earth if we're to move forward. It's not a matter of um, just tinkering with the edges, but that we need to look at the whole basic mechanistic view of of the universe as just a machine um, and... It's just a bunch of objects and we're the only subjects, we're the only people with consciousness. And to go, no, if, if God is a creator of all things, then there is, there is consciousness, there is subjectivity in, at every level. And unless we engage with, the, with creation that way, 
where we can only ever go, go so far and that's where Indigenous perspectives and the Indigenous understanding of the world is something that we need desperately. Yeah. It makes me wonder about um, what well, I was learning at Theological College a few years ago and all the exegesis I had to learn how to do. And while we've been sitting here, I've been freaking out inside about how the, you know, the straight white men, all those biblical exegesis books that I had to use in the library at college, and they're coming from that perspective. And, you know, our theological college is keeping up with this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've really sort of said about the straight white white men, and whilst I've been aware of that, it's, it's really um, quite insidious and... Mm. It's hard not to be aware of straight white men, I find. Um, I think for me as well, also thinking about, as Pastor I touched upon, how we think about salvation and what does it mean? Is it that we get zapped away and we leave this earth and what's the point of considering the earth? Or is it a much broader view that actually it's maybe the salvation of all of creation and an idea of a new earth um, and is everything being made new and can we participate in that now? And is it, you know, do we sort of believe in a participatory type of thing and maybe we can be a part of bringing in and ushering in that new kingdom now in all of creation? And I think the way that we think about salvation massively impacts, um, but I think often that connection is lacking and, yeah, it was really beautiful, I think, to see him um, make that connection and to think about that. And one other thing that I sort of recently in a feminist theologies class and we had an eco-feminist um, guest speaker who was amazing and um, one of the things that she said and I think maybe she was quoting from someone else but I can't remember was about like we have the science like we know that there's problems we've got enough science and yet people still aren't convinced and what she said that they needed was not more science but actually like a conversion a heart change and I think as like a theology student who's often like man this is is this real pointless what I'm doing it's sort of actually a really encouraging thing and I think as sort of Christians I think that maybe actually where we can be useful is this idea of actually we need conversions and we need heart changes maybe not in the traditional sense of saving souls <laughs> but yeah I don't know if that I liked that yeah I like that too um yeah it's just it's like a, that's you know Jesus, you know, metanoia, the idea of, of con repentance is turning around and just literally turning from the perspective that dominates us and seeing another one. Um, there's this great quote by the theologian Catherine Keller about um, the new heavens and the new earth and saying, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're heading towards a new heavens and a new earth very rapidly. Uh, so <laughs> we, we don't need... God to create a new heavens and a new earth the real question is what kind of new heavens and new earth do we want um, do we want one that's completely destroyed or one that is restored and where is God in that um, oh Ben you might make this the last one because there was a late hand up <laughs> um, I think it just makes me think uh, that we have a personal responsibility to recognize when we're othering someone um, because if you consider someone to be the other, it's extremely, like, it's almost intuitive to disregard everything that they're saying and then you lose a lot, I think, if you don't. Thanks, Ben. So just th three quick things 
to finish that occurred to me. Um, one is, yeah, that we need, obviously, to bring Indigenous perspectives into conversation with the other perspectives that, that we, we use when we engage with the Bible. Um, also, uh, one thing that um, we sometimes forget is that uh, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, you have an Indigenous heritage. Um, and one of the, the richest theologies in terms of engagement with nature is Celtic theology, which is the sort of part of my inheritance and part of the inheritance of, of many, us, many of us here. So I guess the other thing is to recover our own indigenousness, to recover the perspectives of our own indigenous ancestors and to recognise that there is incredible richness often in that resource and that's why I wanted to use the Iona liturgy that we started with because that is a recovery of that kind of Celtic spirituality which is inclusive of women, which is embracing of nature in a way that the theology that a lot of us inherited is not. Um, and the last thing is just, um, and we've touched on this, it's just um, recovering strands in the Bible that affirm nature and that challenge the separation of humanity and nature. Um, and there are lots of passages like that. Uh, there's Genesis 1.31 that we've talked about, um, that everything is good. There's the covenant that God makes with Noah in Genesis 9, where it's a covenant with all creatures. It's not just a covenant with people, it's a covenant with all creatures. And that's echoed in Hosea, Hosea 2.18, where again, God promises a covenant with all creatures, with all creation. Um, and we also see that in Paul, in Romans 8, where he talks about the whole of creation is, is groaning and waiting for its, its liberation. Um, so that there are resources in the Bible that we can recover as well. Um, We all normally have uh, communion at this point, but uh, when we have a community lunch, we, we have lunch as communion. So I um, encourage you to, to experience that as communion this morning. Um, but what I thought we could finish with, if you don't mind, is a community prayer that I talked about before. Be a good return to the community prayer. Um, I was listening to something this week that talked about the double the double function of language, that language is for us to express ourselves, but language is also um, something that can form us. And if we're going to have that conversion that Tish was talking about, then we need liturgy that will shape us in the direction of being part of this restoration of all creation. Um, so part of that is using things like the Iona liturgy and part of that is creating our own resources to, to form, form our minds and hearts in ways that are life-giving. Um, so um, oh. so I'll just lead us um, in this prayer this time. I'll read the, you just read the bits that are all your you're all, all again, and I'll read uh, the other bits for us. Again, um, if this is not a prayer that you're familiar with, if this is your first time and you'd rather just read it instead of praying it because you don't know if you believe it, then that's fine. Um, 
but it's just a prayer that we came up with in a series where we looked back at uh, history over the last um, number of years um, to try to recover some of the themes that have been a part of this community um, and to, to create liturgy and prayer that will help to remind us of those things and form us as the kinds of uh, followers of Jesus that we want to be. Um, so let's finish um, with this and then we can celebrate. Oh, wow, look, the cake's there already. We can celebrate Joel and then get ready for lunch. Um, Loving God, help us to remember that you are like Jesus, that you have always been like Jesus, and that Jesus died not so that you could love us, but that we might finally see you and love you. Help us to remember that you are like Jesus. We look for the coming of your upside-down kingdom. Please make a way for your kingdom to come today and open our eyes to see it. Help us also to see and honour all those who are so often unseen and dishonoured. We look for your kingdom. Open our eyes. We look for your justice and love in our world. Show us what your work of justice and love look like for us at this time and in this place. Loving God, show us. Call us to doubt so that faith may take new forms. Give us faith so that doubt may not overwhelm us. Let us join with you in your activity. Lead us into deep trust. Give us doubt. Give us faith. Make us a well of life-giving water when we are together and when we are apart. Help us to walk gently with those who are afraid to drink. Give us life. Give us patience. Please unify us without bruising the beauty of our diversity so that we might be not just consumers of a service but a beloved community who carry each other's burdens. Make us a beloved community. Help us to be custodians of this place like those who came before us. And we, may we always honour its original custodians, the Wurundjeri people. Help us to live Sabbath lives of gratitude, generosity and rest as they did. Give us Sabbath lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, knowing that he with you and your spirit are already and in every moment calling all things towards justice and love. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.